when Jay-Z came to me, he seemed like a devotee of of the of art, of performance art, of of body art, which is well, I sound like Dr. Evil, uh, which is uh, what I what my specialty is and I want to be present. I want to be present in the in the room with the people I want cause to be. no I want my body uh, is the is the object and 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 my gaze and my presence and Mr. Z and let me stop you right there and just ask I'm not yeah. sure exactly who I'm talking to but say you were gearing up for a endurance based piece of performance art and you needed a little kick of extra energy to get you through to the end of uh, that really transformative tra- uh, transcendent experience you're going to be bringing to all these people who are present with you what might you be drinking to to get charged up for something like that well that's funny you should ask because I only found out about this after mr. Jay-z asked me to uh, tape as a six hour uh, interaction with him as part of my exhibit the Picasso baby song and I I, I there's a great feat of endurance during doing my work and that's why they pay me so well but without this <laughs> I, with this product <laughs> I would have done so I, much honestly, better I feel sick to my stomach <laughs> if I had had Grady's cold brew which I have just recently learned about and it is a cold brew uh, concentrate of the apparently the New Orleans style with chicory, and uh, it it it's great in this this hot weather, and uh, it comes in all sorts of flavors. I love hazelnut, so I love the hazelnut version of it. And oh, I I know that Marina Abramovich loves hazelnut, yeah. so I think that's that right. that's got to be who, there. You who go. It is. Yes, and I hope that you will all go to Grady'sColdBrew.com and use the code LATEERA20 that this uh, it, uh, pertains to this. It is a podcast, correct? We're on a podcast? Yeah, uh, a podcast. yeah it's a conceptual podcast experiment. Mm, I love it. Yes, you can go to Grady'sColdBrew.com and enter the code LATEERA20. <laughs> this has been really good. You can drop you can drop the bit whenever you want at this point. Yeah, Get 20% off your first order of Grady's Cold Brew. That was really wonderful. Bottom of the barrel. I'm the nigga, uh, caught up in all these lights and cameras. Uh, but look what that shit did to Hammer. Uh, God damn it, I like it. Bright lights is enticing. But look what it did to Tyson. All that money in one night. 30 mil for one fight. Welcome to the latest episode of the only podcast with a five star rating for customer satisfaction from JD Power and Associates. This is Late Era, the show brought to you by Osiris Media, where we talk about the strange, surprising, overlooked, untoward late career albums by classic musicians. My name is Andy Cush. I play bass in Garcia Peoples. I'm a contributing editor at Pitchfork, and I'm just a guy trying to live his life. My name is Winston Cook-Wilson. I play music in Office Culture and as Winston CW, and I'm also scraping by but i am alive howdy folks i'm sam sadomsky associate editor of pitchfork uh songwriter and i feel like i'm really at the peak of my powers lately top of my <laughs> game happy to be here mm. debatable 
we have an incredibly special guest for uh, this very special episode today where we're going to be finally, for the first time in this show's run so far, touching on uh, the genre of hip-hop, rap. Uh, it's, uh, it's a special day. I've been very excited about this episode um, and extremely excited to have a dream guest to talk about the subject with us. Our guest is a rapper, label owner, actor, TV host, devotee of wrestling and cartoons, and a very, very prolific podcaster who is going to show us up with his podcasting game. Uh, you may know him from his stunning discography, which is full of comedy, cultural commentary, and really uh, amazing kind of introspection. He released an album last year called Anime, Trauma, and Divorce, which I just thought was one of the best uh, like musical thing one of the best pieces of art actually to to reflect what the pandemic kind of felt like really funny but also just really moving and heartbreaking and unsparing also love uh his current main podcast i guess which is what had happened was um the first season was awesome uh a lot of conversations with prince paul is one of my favorites about his career and the current one season finale is like coming up right tomorrow tomorrow well, I don't know when it's going out, so it will probably be in the past for when people hear this. <laughs> with uh, LP. Open Mike Eagle is here with us, everyone. Hello, everyone. I'm sweating. That's all That's all I do. That's all I can think about. And I didn't think I could sweat any harder than, than I was. And then all those compliments, somehow I started sweating even more. I really, I laid it on thick. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Spread on. While you're here and while we're laying compliments on, I'll give one more, which is I'm currently moving apartments, and so I've been packing my record collection. And I have to say, like, the art edition of Anime, Trauma, and Divorce is, like, one of the most beautiful-looking records I own. That's awesome to hear. I, I, I really like, appreciate that. Yeah, great that album. That was my first, my first special um, vinyl thing as a label owner. And gosh, that was a big hassle so i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad it, it uh it's satisfying to the people whose hands it ended up in and i'm counting you as the voice of everybody who bought it yeah they all uh Safe voted me as the spokesperson yep. so good i'm glad it was democratic it. <laughs> isn't there like a new pressing dropping no not that i'm aware of unless somebody's making some weird move i'm i'm not aware of uh, i just I just put a hundred of the standard edition up on my merch site uh, for people who hadn't gotten it because because I'm the label guy, so now I get to do whatever I want with the records that are left over. Uh, what what else is new other than um, sweating and label head stuff? Podcast podcast boss stuff, which which also sucks more than label head. I think podcast boss. There's some unexpected sucky parts of that job that I wasn't thinking about when i decided to do that also amongst the other stuff i was doing do you want to share any of those things wow you know what one thing that was really weird happened and this is this is like a terrible awful story but like the guy that i started the network with like passed away suddenly earlier this year um and wow like so that means I'm I'm the guy that has to tell everybody on the network this terrible news, you know, like that was like a whole two days of just telling people, Christ. you know, this awful, 
story, but I'm, you know, like I'm the guy who has the information because I'm at the head of this pyramid. So it's on me to disseminate it. And it's just stuff like that that you don't, you know, and it's not like you could prepare or predict that somebody was going to pass away suddenly. But it's just like, oh, if I'm in a position where I'm organizing all these people, uh, when something like that happens, like there's nobody for me to to uh, push that off on. You know, it's just another responsibility that I have to take, you know, regardless of, of, you know, what that might mean for my own emotional state, because I'm the one who made the decision to start this thing, you know? Wow. That's, well, it's a nice podcast hole to climb out of, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know all the, well, that makes, all the trappings. That makes me feel bad about anything. I've complained, you know, amongst my co-hosts about, like, uh, you know, just whatever little hassle yeah, we were we complaining have making a podcast. about me and Winston wearing the same shirt. Yeah, let's like get that out of the way. This struggle. is strange. We look strange with the two black t-shirts here. Well, yeah. Well, you know, there's there's lots, there's plenty of other people in the world also wearing that shirt. So, you know, I, that's think, I think that's, I think, you know, mathematically, that's okay. You know, <laughs> half yeah. of the world, two out of four. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes me feel bad that you're on another podcast. You've got so much podcasting stuff going. Thank you for being on another fucking podcast. Appreciate you know, it. I really love podcasting, especially podcasting that's like really focused. Like that's like my favorite stuff. So like this is the perfect sort of, of thing for me. Um, I I can't say, well, I don't you know, I, I, y'all haven't really set the, uh, the table in terms of what we're talking about. So I don't want to jump too far ahead. But um, this this particular piece of music was was really odd to come back to i know yeah. it's really interesting piece of work uh, so speaking of staying focused that's good encouragement to uh to actually get on topic i think i think it's a good lead-in because we talked about sort of being a mogul uh, you know being a label head podcast that's head, true you know, a lot of responsibility heavy is the head yeah so today we are talking about magna carta holy grail this is Jay-Z's 12th album, released in the year 2013. Uh, we're talking about it because perhaps this is an instance of a great artist who gets a little too wrapped up in his own mythology. He's at the top of his field. He's got a real drive to stay relevant, but maybe he's not exactly sure how to do that creatively. It's also sort of an album that's about the fact that it is a late career album, like this consistent narrative point of view of like, look at everything I've achieved over the last decade. Uh, And it's also a sort of late career excess that we have usually talked about in terms of rock or um, like pop with a capital P type artists. Um, Usually we like to talk about albums from artists who are a few decades into their careers. So, you know, with hip hop being a newer genre, there aren't quite as many artists are at that point, but then also maybe more importantly, uh, the record industry doesn't always um, afford rappers with long careers, um, doesn't always invest in them as artists over the long term in the same way that they might with like a boomer era rock star. So I think Jay-Z also provides us with a good opportunity to, to talk about what it means to be a late era rapper uh, specifically, and he was probably one of the first artists to be sort of like charting out what it looks like to be, you know, a rapper who's been hugely successful for 20 years. Like he didn't really have kind of a blueprint to follow when he was doing this. So it's kind of interesting nice to time. see it happening yeah. in real time. Yes, a blueprint to follow. Very good. Yeah. So 
That's what we're going to be digging into today. Yeah, I mean, we racked our brains a while to figure out like what was a good hip hop album, given that the genre doesn't. We don't have all these decades. Um, and this one just popped to mind. It's such a like, such a spiritually laid album. It's like somebody who is grasping to figure out exactly what to say, surrounded by people who are like saying a lot and trying to figure out what how he can kind of define kind of the terms of like big budget rap in that moment. And I just I just have always thought it's like a weird funny album even at the time revisiting it now with sort of the political like you know like it's like this pre-ferguson kind of album this like pre-black lives matter kind of that yeezus era like that imperial run of kanye stuff where it's just like this marvel movie music and it was just really wild to to listen to uh just like all these songs about about capitalism in this certain very very proud way i just wanted to say why wanted to reach out to you specifically about this album like because i i found this random oh i just i i i thought that you might have a, a good perspective on on jay-z as a figure and I, then i found this interesting random old like hip-hop dx interview it was with you and rap ferreira then known as milo mm. and you were talking about um kind of 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 entrepreneurship and and the label system in rap i think you guys are talking about the samsung deal behind this album which if people don't know the album was premiered um well it was premiered it was announced through like a halftime super bowl halftime commercial i believe uh but then it was like it, when people got the like these certain samsung phones it was kind of that u2 thing it was just like on your phone then like three days later, they released it to all services. So it was kind of this, at that time, I think everyone was kind of looking for exclusives, both him and Kanye and like other rappers were like trying to find ways to like move outside the label system and kind of create their own methodology for releasing stuff. Um, but you, you were talking about how like you understood that impulse for him to do that and kind of talking about comparing it to like indie rappers and Bandcamp or something along those lines and i thought that was interesting and milo was like i completely disagree <laughs> or like you guys had different you had different takes on on the uh motivation the salience of that way of kind of pushing back against major label systems so that's all to say i thought that was interesting and i was like i bet you have some thoughts about this record and this time and being a rapper at this time you know, it's 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 so interesting for you to put it in that context because I went back to this album. The only thing that was really in my mind before I pressed play on it was like, I don't remember hating this album, but everybody else who I know hates this album. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm kind of listening for it and, and I'm trying to listen to like, listen for like, what are the reasons people hated this album so much more than anything else that was happening at or around that same time. And mm. to me, like, to me, this album was in so many ways an extension of Watch the Throne. And totally. I don't know how much we're going to touch on that later, but, you know, like, there's some very clear, um, well, there's there's stories out there that even uh, JC has confirmed about a couple of these songs haven't been recorded in the, in the uh, Watch the Throne sessions. Yeah. And, um, and and poured it over here and and those kind of formed the foundation of the sound and even those songs like they don't sound special to me like watch the thrones kind of sounded like special like the the songs that ended up on here from watch the thrones didn't watch the throne didn't sound that 
special or ear catching to me necessarily. Uh-huh, yeah. um, and I found listening to the album that most of it to me is just kind of boring. <laughs> and and it's it's because I think because a lot of it is him and Timbaland, and I think the way that, that Timbaland's sound evolved, it, it it got very far away from like things driven by melody it got to things driven by kind of percussion um so to me so much of the album is kind of painted musically in like the exact same color for sure um so a song like like bbc which is like damn near near the end like that one comes on i think that's swiss beat no it's pharrell and it just pops there's just so much going on rhythmically and and sound with that one but so much more of it and i say all that to say Listening to it, I couldn't necessarily ne- couldn't necessarily ascertain why people hated it. But you saying what you just said really reminded me, like, oh, that's right. This album came out in a weird way. Yeah, and I think that is the reason people hate this album. Because mm-hmm. I think that one thing in in the new, like, once everybody got completely on board with streaming. If you put out an album where, like, you're saying some people can get it and some people can't immediately, you automatically have a problem. Right. And I don't think we were aware. I certainly wasn't conscious of that before. And I wasn't conscious of that at the time because I I had an Android phone. So it was easy for me to press a button and hear the album. But if I had been, um, if it had been Apple only, then I might have felt differently about it. I think a lot of albums that ended up on title only have weird you know where there's there's weird relationships people have to them to this day because it's it's when you put up gates to consumption like i think we're just not used to that as a culture yeah. and it's it, it in a way it feels like it's an artist telling us that some consumers are worth more than others or it's some it's some weird feeling that you get when you're part of the the population of people who don't have access when it seems that other people do. And I think uh, him doing that when, like you said, he he was in such a weird place in pop culture, having survived so many eras and having celebrated his wealth so successfully with Watch the Throne, especially like they kind of created the era that we live in now, like the, the excess from the 90s and 2000s got turned into this whole other direction where like, it wasn't about the consumables as much anymore. It wasn't about the the Moet and the chains and the and the fast cars. It was about like fine art yeah. and real estate, you know. And like, whoa, okay, so this is really taking this all to another level. Um, and I think, yeah, him making that decision, and it's a, it, and I still think it's a great deal to have made because as artists who are dealing with an economy that devalues our product constantly, like. You know, after the download era, just the value of music just took such a horrible downturn that you as an artist, you're like trying to find ways or trying to find business partners that still find the value in your product mm-hmm. and that and are willing to pay you what you think it's worth. It's just like Jay-Z um, praising Nipsey Hussle for putting out his $100 CD. Right. You know, it wasn't because he wanted everybody's CD to be $100. It was because... This was an artist who was trying to define the value of their own product. And that was such an important notion at the time. Um, and I think that Jay-Z making this deal with Samsung was a way to kind of continue along that same ideal at some, like with somebody at his scale. Um, but I think ultimately it was a misjudgment of how that experience would be viewed by consumers. Right. 
And people weren't really like this was pre-title. Like this is before he got yeah. into title. Like it wasn't like, you know, Drake doing Apple Music exclusives yet or like Life of Pablo. Like all that stuff was a bit down the road. So he was kind of ahead of the game with this. And like mm-hmm. we normally kind of run through a quick kind of history of the artist, how he got here. Andy's gonna do that in a second. But I, I do think like bad will towards it from the jump was like partially that thing partially people not being used to that and being like this is so ridiculous and also just like all these people who are affiliated with him around the same time making really exciting art like beyonce kanye making you know making uh frank ocean frank ocean making this exciting art and you and using these kind of what like for lack of a better i'll use the 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 lingo disruptive ways of of presenting the music Actually, J. Cole was doing it too, I think. Like, all, everyone was doing it, you know, and, and Jay-Z was like praising all of that, like tweeting about it and being like, this is the new, you know, and he talks about it on this record. It's like, fuck up the world. This is the new way of doing things. And so his version of those records being just a sort of a celebration of like buying expensive street art and fashion and, uh, you know, how much his wife is like the Mona Lisa and is like, you know, and like, <laughs> you know, starting out with like talking about his daughter, like it's like, she's a piece of his wealth, like all these kind of weird moves on it. And one liners, people were just like, this is just feeling weird to me. (laughs) Like, well, I think that's probably more of what has like hardened this album's reputation mm -hmm. as like a misstep because it's kind of like, I really agree with the points about the presentation of it being distracting from the art itself. But then when it's like, the music itself isn't as exciting as to talk about or think about as the distribution method. It's kind of like, I think of like Anti by Rihanna and it's like, no one remembers how fumbled that was. I think there was oh, a yeah. Samsung deal there too. Yeah, so it's kind I, had of like, no, I had no idea that that was even associated. Damn, I forgot that. about that. That's a really good point. And it's like, that album was also like a title exclusive at first. And, you know, it's kind of like the legacy of the album itself is what people remember, the songs on the album. And I kind of think... Sometimes for an artist like Jay-Z, it's something he has in common with you too. It's like you get to a certain point and it's sort of like the idea for the artist of making an album, like just putting out another record might not be exciting enough on its own or a kind of like admit admission of like, I don't know if people will want just like this album as my new album. So if you tie it to something that sort of feels revolutionary or feels remarkable, then you add this kind of gravitas to it that I think someone like Jay-Z is really attracted to. And I think in this instance, it was more of a distraction than it was uh, an advertisement for it. It's also like worth noting that the it was a slam it was exclusively available on Samsung phones for four days before right, it came right, out right. to the general public. And yet that sort of like bad taste of exclusivity still lingers. And I do think I do think what you're saying is true, Sam, that like if the album was better, uh, then people wouldn't be so fixated on that. There was like a three minute commercial or something that I was going around for it or something like Samsung commercial. I think it was just that kind of rollout. Yeah, also, yeah. just want to quick out, point out quickly before we move on that um, Jay Z in 2010, but like the you know the U2 connection is real. He toured with U2 in Australia <laughs> in wow. 2010 and collaborated yeah, with them at that time. So um, you know, that's probably a probably really conversations awesome <laughs> show to go to. <laughs> yeah, that would be a pretty cool show. Anyway. Let's quickly do our thing. You know, let's, how did we get here? 
Yeah. So usually we'll we'll talk, you know, to bring the unfamiliar listener a little bit up to the uh, sort of point in history when a given album comes out. We'll sort of walk you through a, a, a brief uh, timeline of events. With Jay-Z, I'm going to start not at the beginning of his career, but in 2003, starting with an ending of sorts. Um, at this point, uh, Jay-Z's first album had only come out uh, six or seven years ago. It wasn't that long of a time, but he had, in that time, really established himself as both one of the most exciting and the most commercially dominant um, rappers in the world, to the point where, when in 2003 he announced that he was releasing uh, his final album, the Black Album, and that he would be doing a this huge kind of blowout concert at Madison Square Garden and uh, making a documentary about it. At least for me, and I was a 14-year-old kid at the time uh, who loved Jay-Z, like, that seemed entirely credible. I didn't have any whiff that this was some kind of, like, promotional stunt. Like, for me as a kid, it was like, Jay-Z is sort of this elder, and it's like he's kind of made this decision to go out. And the Black Album was, again, to me, like, awesome. It totally blew my mind. Uh, it had this kind of gravitas to it that he really kind of started to emphasize more and more after he came back on albums like Magna Carta, Holy Grail, but it also had a sense that he was still having a lot of fun. He was just like totally on top of his game. All the beats sounded completely different, but somehow it was all working together in the favor of the album. And then he retires. And maybe it's because of the age I was at the time, but I still sort of think of that as being the end of like the proper run of classic Jay-Z albums. Can and I then, touch on that for a second? Yeah, of course. Because yeah. I think, you know, Jay-Z gets a lot of credit for doing a lot of brilliant things. But I think that one thing that people don't give him enough credit for is that part of the reason that it even makes sense to choose this album to talk about for him is because in in rap, especially after you get to a certain point, relevance stops being about the music. It starts being about your narrative as an artist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It starts being about telling people who you are, what you've been through, how you've changed, and how you want to be perceived now. Like, I think that really informs the music deeply. And the Black Album was genius because it was a retirement album, but it wasn't a retirement from rapping. It was a retirement of his, like, street gangster persona. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a retirement of him having to have any more street credibility from that point forward. He was That's no longer point. on the hook for any of that. From that point, he'd laid that persona to rest and he was able to find ways to be an adult and be an irrelevant rapper. Um, and some, you know, and some of those were fumbles too. Like just, you know, identifying himself as like the guy who wears button ups at the club. Like that was yeah. his identity for a second. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, and ultimately it ends up being like fine art and wealth management and, and, and all of this stuff. But it's like, that's what gave him the room to do it. You totally. know, like if he hadn't done that, then people would have still been looking for something that he could genuinely no longer provide. That's um, really interesting. And so, like, I, th I, I look at the Black Album as one of like the great master strokes of high level hip hop pop culture. 
Yeah. It's interesting to even sort of think about like an album, both as like a musical statement in itself and a kind of like deliberate sort of pivot point in what your narrative as an artist is going to be. And I think, you, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's hard to imagine like him doing, for instance, like a record with a song with Chris Martin on it, like before having done the retirement and having, you know, uh, made the Black Album, it sort of like opens up this entirely new kind of area for him to operate in and like you said some of it is like kind of fumbled like you know kingdom come is not my favorite jay-z album uh but you know he kind of finds his footing again uh american gangster is a record that i think holds up really well uh he kind of that was another lane of like i'm doing film soundtracks now uh and after that, we get uh, the Blueprint Three, which is sort of like obviously it's positioned as a sequel or the sort of third installment of probably the most beloved, widely lauded uh, record in his catalog. And it's a rough one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little rough, but it's also like huge in terms of. I was looking at the Spotify, like, just kind of top tracks for Jay-Z now, oh, and yeah. it's kind of fa- fascinating and, like, a little sad in a way to see that it's, like, maybe most people kind of associate Jay-Z with, like, Empire State of Mind. It was a huge like, commercial yeah, piece. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And but, that goes, like, to what we were talking about in the Frank Sinatra episode about, like, theme from New York. Like, it's an obvious comparison, but it is kind of like that song has so entered into, like, the just like a vernacular of music associated with places. Like I remember going to like a Phillies game and hearing some like anonymous version of it that was someone made for Philly. Like it's just one of those songs. It's like happy birthday at this point. Right. Where if you're like coming, if you were someone coming to Jay-Z like decades from now in the same way that we were coming to Sinatra, like it would be the same thing of like, I can't believe New York, New York came out in 1980 and right. also, yeah, Empire State of Mind came out in whatever it was, 2012. Yeah. yeah. And his music's only been on Spotify for like a year, right? Yeah, for his 50th It always birthday. goes on and off. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's kind of interesting, too, to think about what, what those numbers are going to look like in 10 years, like after everything kind of balances out. That's true, Because yeah. there's a spike based on like recency bias, I'm sure. Yeah, you that's know. a very good point. Yeah, that thing, one, it, it, it it's crazy how popular what like the album what because it's like these two kind of you know depending on how you look at it empire state of mind i I would call like an embarrassing song but you know like it was just like one of the best-selling singles of that decade or whatever but you know then there's also relevant to talking about this album in a certain way you know that death of auto-tune was also that's that was vastly embarrassing (laughs) (laughs) that's Uh that's what he tried to end the thing and that thing was like no yeah Yeah, i mean there's i was just bringing this up because there's this you know talking about like magna carta holy grail which is like well i'll get into it but it's this moment where like southern like trap production and like Rick Ross and this stuff is becoming intersecting with 
the top echelon of of rap and like rap production and like seeping into like the beats of someone like Timbaland working on this record. So there's like this trap thing happening that's bleeding over into this stuff. But in two and tw- in that for that album, Blueprint Three, like even outside of Death of Autotune, it's really about nailing in like how New York he is, like how like you know everyone's jeans are too tight and like you know here <laughs> I'm surrounding myself with like the real heads that I believe in. He's like listing them off in the songs and and you're like okay I'm with you like yeah those you know those rappers definitely are and then he's like and G- and DJ Khaled and I'm like oh that's just a famous person you're friends with like he's like trying to like show his cred in this weird way with that album too with the corniest extension probably being on two different levels death of auto tune and empire state of mind in a way because it's you know it's it's a politicized like yeah this is all for flex man this is like funk like you know funk master flex and me we are new york and uh <laughs> so that's a that's a funny counterpoint like going into like you know kanye is a, a force on that record but and like he's, he's already kind of rapping a little bit like kanye sometimes but then you get into the next stage watch the throne etc yeah so i mean everybody knows watch the throne it's the collaboration with kanye they do a huge iconic tour for it uh sort of like the last stand of like this great artistic uh partnership between jay-z and kanye before things start to fracture a little bit they got they both got too famous yeah (laughs) yeah and that brings us to Magna Carta Holy Grail. Uh, you know, he is in a way back on top in terms of like being extremely relevant. Uh, still, I think maybe a little confused about where he is or who he is as an artist. Uh, interesting counterpoint to what, you know, Winston was just saying about, uh, you know, the Southern rap influence. It's like super evident on the production of Magna Carta Holy Grail as compared to Blueprint 3. I was watching an interview with him and and uh, between Jay Z and Zane Lowe earlier today, and he's describing Oof. his approach for I know yeah it was pretty rough, but he's describing his approach for Magna Carta, and the whole thing he's saying is like I wanted to take it back to minimalism, a real New York sound. Mm-hmm. I wanted the songs to sound like Slick Rick. Uh, I wanted to be stripped down, like kind of as a response to the kind of like grandeur of the Blueprint Three. And it's like, that's a really remarkable instance of like an artist's kind of vision of the way their music is coming off. Like, at least for me being like so different from the way that it actually comes off. Like, I would I would never peg Magna Carta Holy Grail as being this kind of like stripped down statement. And it's kind of interesting that he eventually gets to that with 444. Like, that makes a lot more sense to me as this kind of like minimalist new york thing but yeah how can you call something magna carta minimalist yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's weird yeah like roman statues on the cover <laughs> well i do think like maybe what he's getting at is like a distinction that i think happened with the blueprint three was like it sort of establishes like two lanes for late era jay-z where it's like commercial jay-z which is the blueprint three and then gestures toward this kind of like artistic like not for radio thing that i think he was maybe going for with this and gets like a little muddy throughout it but it's sort of like when you listen to the blueprint three you're kind of like every single song in the studio they were probably thinking like this is going to be the one like this is going to be a huge hit whereas with magna carta you can hear a lot more like letting the beat run and like going for like a mood like experimenting which uh, for me a lot of the times just ends up being a little boring but I could see for him, he was thinking like, this is like the way it used to be for me. Like when I was just like letting the music do the talking and like 
not thinking about, you know, A&Ring my album, like that kind of thing. So yeah, definitely not minimalist though. I think that there's, that's like this weird intersection of, yeah, I don't, I don't have to think about commercial things in, in, in that singles way as much here because, you know, following these kind of disruptive stuff we were talking about, about releases and like these kind of album, album like Kanye, the, the funny thing to me about Watch the Throne is like Kanye and Jay-Z were coming off of these two really big albums that were kind of like the opposite. Like to me, like my beautiful dark twisted fantasy is like the album that sets up the paradigm for Watch the Throne and this out, these like Marvel movie, like albums that are just like, you know, where it even ceases to matter. They're like all these guests and it kind of ceases to matter if they're like, what worth like the symbol patterns coming from if it's like a trap symbol pattern if it's like a certain if it's like neptune stop production if it's like old school new york it's like all in this big expensive package and i I say marvel movie because it makes me think of like the soundtrack to like hollywood movies where it's like okay like that kind of sounds like philip glass and that kind of sounds like rock and roll and that kind of sounds like techno but all of it sounds like superheroes you know like this sounds like expensive rap music this sound you know it's like this super imperial vibe but jay-z's coming off of this hugely popular kind of corny record blueprint three whereas kanye is kind of like redefining the rap album for that decade so it's like they intersect in this weird point and watch the throne and then 2013 is yeezus and then right after it magna carta holy grail which is and and it's like they're they're kind of trying to be a similar type of album in a way like and there is this thing where it's like there's material from Watch the Throne that like Oceans and another track from this that were supposed to be on Watch the Throne so it is it's all it's all cut up in this Kanye universe to to put even a finer point on that the album was originally called Magna Carta the song Holy Grail was the other one that was from the Watch the Throne uh, right, sessions right, right. Mm-hmm. and so he didn't even decide to call his album Magna Carta Holy Grail like if <laughs> it's funny because Jay-Z just kind of adds that to the story like oh we made these songs in I had an argument with Kanye for four days about whether or not these songs were going to go on that album or were going to go on my album yeah and then he says, yeah, and my album you know, ended up being called Holy Grail. Like, that was actually part of his power play to get the song, Yeah, was to wow. put it in the title. So, like, now, like, he's claiming that song is, like, part of the basis, the aesthetic for his album. But it's, like, it's part of, a, of an argument. It's not even, like, coming from a, a genuine place, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do you guys like that song? No. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't know if I like it either, but I don't hate it. I the, the, there's like a particular chord change in the Justin Timberlake part when uh, he's like, "A oh, baby, and it's amazing. I'm still in this maze with you. I just can't figure." Out. For some reason, like that one, I really I'm like, I should hate this. It's so calculated, but every time that part of the hook hits, I'm like, it's. I feel like I'm watching a commercial that's like designed to pull my heartstrings and I know that and yet I still I'm like finding myself tearing up at like this dad and his son playing catch in a car commercial or whatever (laughs) there's something about that where I'm like it's I know I know I should this shouldn't work on me but it still does so I kind of like that speaking of dads I mean the first line on this record is his daughter's name you know it's like the dad rap thing with this is real yeah yeah 
really I really always don't, comes back to I blue. really don't yeah I don't like that song I feel like sometimes when like someone comes in and like writes a pop chorus on a hip-hop song like that you can almost like feel them riffing and I really mm-hmm. feel that with like JT's hook where it's like you can like almost hear him like sort of like improvising it's like it's amazing I'm in this maze I can't crack the code <laughs> like you're here you're there you care it's so unfair like it's just like because he has so much space to fill and it like, is it's really long it's a very long it's, it is very long it's very yeah. excessive like it should have been cut yeah though, for sure yeah. oh. it's I mean it's Yeezus-y in a way it's like that's the the kind of thing from Watch the Throne that Yeezus like kind of took to this other level is just that kind of excess of of sort of non-rap segments of like these epics that are are kind of about a lot more than the actual rap verses and i think in some way it's also about subverting the form too right like yeah yeah like like that is there that's that's in some ways that's what being progressive means to them is that they're going to put an r&b part in the song that's so long that you start to question whether or not it's actually a rap song right you know? like right. i feel like that that's part of what they consider to be experimentation is what it feels like. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like it also sort of plays into what the point of view of the album is of like, I am, I've kind of like grown to this like imperial force that is like beyond rap in certain ways. And like, I can do this because I'm Jay-Z, you know? And I'm actually a yeah. god. For a while, he's a king. And, and this one, and that's the similarity between this one and Jesus is on, on these albums, they're gods. They're not watching that they're not kings literally gods and it never occurred to me to think of this as sort of like a companion piece to Jesus as like the post watch the throne album because i don't know about everybody else but i am i'm totally all in on loving Jesus. yeah and um, i feel like yeah. uh i don't know it's if i think about these two records in these in those terms it re- it really paints Magna Carta Holy Grail in a very negative light for me. Well, I, I relate it directly. Like, I, my memory of it is like, oh, Beyonce, Beyonce self-titled, Yeezus, yeah. like all this amazing shit coming out um, in his like general crew. And like, you know, at the time, like Rick Ross, who, you know, like, fuck with me, you know, I got it, like is basically a Rick, sounds like a Rick Ross song from this. It was supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. There's, there's another one. There's another one where it's like, okay this is imported into jay-z's universe but it's totally someone else's thing but i mean that's you know he, he god forgives i don't was 20, was 2012 and that was rick ross's biggest album ever and like you know it's another situation of like um jay-z kind of yeah just like there's all this kind of these people around him making really big influential statements i mean you obviously like beyonce and uses i think maybe a cut above but i mean at that point i like rick ross was the shit you know and uh it's just like also there's like the whole good music thing going on like exactly, two chains yeah. chief key like you cool know summer was was part of that patchwork for sure as well and i yeah, feel like I was 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 probably the rightful successor to watch the throne really ended up being cruel summer yeah you know it's aesthetically yeah, and there you have like Jay Z up against Two Chains and Travis Scott and Chief Keef on a track list. You know, like mm-hmm. it's all kind of getting mixed together again in this like kind of Kanye curated world. You know, exactly. And yeah, so so Magna Carta Holy Grail, both when it came out and now, just felt like Jay Z is supremely confused. You know, like next to all that shit being like 
pretty exciting and like you know also like asap rocky came out that time so there you have like somebody who's like a new york rapper who's making songs that sound like dj screw and trap and like you know in in and intersecting with the fat it's like real this real fashion rap music you know and so you get that strain on this record in the most absurd way too that that's like a great example of like the kind of thing that it seems like jay-z is sort of aspiring to do it's like everything that this is record is doing but coming off in a way that's like much more credible to most listeners i feel like it just seems like it's hard for me to take it seriously and not think it's funny i think just because of like like, come, I mean, come on, like, he's like, Jay-Z's doing, like, the back that ass up flow. He's, like, doing a juvenile flow on this album, you know? It's, like, it's so funny to me that, like, it, it, you know, that, that you know, death of autotune and all this comes out. I, I just, it's just, like, and then, like, the, the, like, there's so many couplets on this, you know, all the, like, random, like, hashtag rap, like, references to street artists, like, Shepard Fairy, Hope, or, like, you know... Whatever it is. Well, he did the thing with um, Marina Abramovich, too, which yeah. I remember the video well, we're that dub- she was in. We should get into that. I mean, yeah, let's start talking about some songs. I mean, because, like, so talking about, like, the Watch the Throne songs being, like, setting the template for this, I think he said in interviews that the thing that kicked off the whole feel of the album and the sound and everything was Picasso Baby. Like, he treats that as kind of, like, the germ it's a um, decent statement for sure. Yeah. And, you know, it is, you know, going ape at the auction rhyme with Tate Modern, you know, telling Blue she can lean on my Basquiat. <laughs> That's a hell of a flex, though. I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, know. lean on yeah. it. Lean on it. It's yours. It's yours. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's pretty incredible. taken by Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's pretty incredible. incredible. Like that makes me anxious and like happy. <laughs> all it just—it's weird. Yeah, I, I um, it ain't hard to tell. I'm the new Jean Michel. Is just such an iconic line. But I, I wanted to share that like um, the two times I've listened to various tracks of this like on their own and broken them down. But I listened to the album like twice through in full uh, recently, and both times I was walking in Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, which is near my house, which is where Basquiat's where grave. Basquiat's grave is, and uh. I was like, should I walk by while I'm listening? And I decided not to. I decided it would be it would be disrespectful. But it, it, I mean, it's it's all. It was also cool just to be in a graveyard listening to this. Right? <laughs> it was an intense vibe. I I got I'm gonna go out on a limb and say I don't hate Picasso Baby as a song. I think that that beat is pretty rocking and like, I I uh, as far as as this record goes, like that's one of the songs that I sort of uh, buy into. Yeah, how do people feel? Crickets, Mike. Do I you mean, like it's, it? yeah. you know, this, this, this. The first three songs are like solidified boring for me. Like that's <laughs> that's kind of like because you know, especially at this time, like we're fully all streaming. Like so, we're all kind of used to like the exciting songs being early. You know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I don't hate any of these songs. I really I like the lyric flexes. I love the particular wealth flexes. How he like he says cool shit he can actually afford. Like I think that's really dope. Um, but the music is just not doing anything for me really in like the first three songs. Yeah, yeah I think I agree with that. The album for me kind of starts with um, the Rick Ross uh, stuff and fuck with me, you know I got it. But yeah, I think like one of my main issues with this album is the writing on it. Like, I think there's a lot of, like, throat-clearing rhymes, and 
Picasso baby is like a few, like you can see the notebook page where there's like incredible lines and then he's like needs to fill space around it. Like I hate stuff like I'm in my casa. I mean my castle. Like, it's just like, so I don't know. It's so obvious. And it's so like, he's already outgrown that stuff in this era. I don't know. To me, the album has a lot of filler lines and filler songs. And I hear a lot of that in this one. I hear like a certain trend that they Kanye would go on to take to like extremes and it, it's partially Kanye. It's a little bit Rick Ross, but it's just like the idea of kind of using obvious rhymes and like the hashtag flows and like not really trying that hard, uh, as being kind of a flex in itself. And, uh, just, just like, I mean, also just like, I want a Rothko. No, I want a brothel. I want to write a yeah, wife who will saying. fuck me like a prostitute. It's like, wow. It, it's just like, uh, there's just like, uh, there's a, um, it's like awkward a little. It, it, it's, it's awkward. It's like, yeah, it's trying to sort of, uh, provoke you, but it just feels, yeah, awkward. Like, yeah, you see the math and you're also like, man, what, what planet is this guy? Like, I, you know, it's like an unreliable narrator in a novel or something. It's like, this guy thinks this is really fucking cool, but like, I don't think this is like, I, I don't want to hear about your Jeff Koons. Like, you know, I don't want you, I don't want your Jeff Koons like flexes. <laughs> Jeff Koons balloons. I just want to blow up. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's t- I, I just can't, so, I can't yeah, get so away from like, the words in the song. So it's like stuff where I guess if you put it in that context, it kind of sounds like, Oh, he walked into a museum and was paying attention, right? Like, and he was like, every 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 name I see, I'm gonna put in a rhyme, like that kind of like by the numbers. And, and I guess, yeah, I, I guess when you when you say it like that, I do I do hear some of that, like that that like because name dropping in rap is already it's like it, it's 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 obvious, especially if you listen to a lot of it, and it, and the more you hear stuff like that, the less effective it gets. But if it's if it's name dropping and it's that particularly focused on you know, uh, art world credibility. And that's just, that's like another level of cheese, I guess, you know? Yeah. He already like leads in with the first track. I mean, there's so many just like boilerplate name drops in this record. You know, like Martin Luther, like I'm Cassius Clay. I'm whatever that is. Then there's like the Kurt Cobain and the REM stuff. It's just like, you know, Oh, I forgot. About Mar- that, yeah. There's like MLK stuff. There's like, there's like a whole bunch of like really boilerplate. Like, I feel like this person. And then at certain points just zooms into these like extremely specific, like art world things, which is, al- which would almost be like, it's almost kind of fascinating because sometimes it feels like a character study of this ex- insanely rich person. Like, yeah, I'm like imagining this like twin Bugattis outside Art Basel. I'm like, okay, like give me that scene. Like I don't I don't want these like flexes, but like I am kind of I th- if this album was more like anecdotal or something, you know, like let me get a real insight into your fucking insane 1% billionaire world. Which it kind of does on 444. I feel like the writing there is True. a lot more like immersive and personal. Yeah, I mean, and that I, I, interacts I think, with his yeah. legacy in a different way, but yeah. And I, I think, because I think if you look at, you know, what I talked about with the Black album, right, it's like an album, but it's also like pushing his narrative forward. I think by the time you get to 444, like him and Beyonce have mastered that with Lemonade. It's like the ultimate right. narrative album, For the sure. ultimate like a real thing happened and this entire album is a response to it. And so you're going to listen to it in 
intently because you want every fucking morsel of yeah. what happened in his story. Um, and I feel like that continued in 444. Um, so like that is the response album in the narrative to Lemonade. And um, I think that in itself informed the immersion, you know, for him painting the pictures and for us as listeners, you know. Totally. And when he does do that a little bit, like on nickels and dimes or something, like when he does start storytelling a little bit, like it snaps into focus. You're suddenly like, oh, yeah, I'm like interested in this kind of like that's that song. I like just I feel like the beat and the vibe is like the, the it's a more interesting world to me um, for whatever reason. Um, but I don't the know. song also is built on a ganja Sufi sample, which is just what? Like sort really? of like, yeah, yeah. This like uh, cor- the chorus of this song, I'm pretty sure, is either ganja Sufi in the studio singing or a sample of one of his songs. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah, which is like, how did that? Yeah, I mean, this how is super easy to see. But like Which this, I've often wondered, like, what happened to Ganja Sufi? What's he he's still making stuff? He is. He's still making music. That's good. Um, I mean, yeah, it's this is definitely one of the better pieces of production on the record to me. Like, or just more interesting musical, lyrical universe. Um, feels very like embodied and real to me in a way that other stuff doesn't really although i i know that he's very passionate about you know his family la familia jay-z blue you know he's got a lot of love for his family as we all do but doesn't you know it feels pretty corny <laughs> that stuff mike what, what songs did you particularly like on this if any? bbc is the one that really stuck out to me um it just had an energy to it and i and, and i know it's mostly just pharrell and because pharrell's uh his his approach to percussion is so different from from Timberlands, yeah, and where Timberlands felt very robotic on here, this feels so like live and in the street and like, like really, I really felt an energy from this song that the the album was very lacking for me. Yeah, it's almost like if there was more stuff. Like this is heavy with the like, R.I.P. to Gianni. Like this whole like I'm a billionaire, I'm at fashion shows thing, and the music and the vibe totally fits that. Well, it sounds like being at a party for a fashion show, you know, like. It all kind of works together in a way that's like legitimately playful instead of being like, this is this is a really heavy flex I'm making about like, you know, whatever it is, my Gucci sneakers, my Adidas deal. Yeah. Uh, what else was Pharrell working on at the time? Like, I'm trying to think of what era that was because it's before Happy, right? He, he, yeah, he was working years. with like, he was on the... Wasn't that like Future Honest? Like he was on that track. Mm. That, that oh that, right, that, that was one. I uh, what's it called? God, I when it was like oh, Ra- Pharrell's really like rapping his ass off. On yeah, that was. Song. That I know was what song you're song. talking about. What's it called? Yeah, yeah. I forget. I can't remember. Uh, uh, it was like the posse cut from Honest. Yeah. My God. Oh, um, we also did um, Blurred Lines that same year. Move That's that. Dope. I knew we had like a big hit. Yeah. Move that. Yeah, dope. Move that. Dope. Yeah. Great song. Wow, haven't thought about that one in a while. I guess that was like that was 2014. Somehow I thought Honest was 2013. But yeah, he he just had his he just was like all over the place in terms of working with. I think he was probably working with JT around that time, right? Because you know that was 2020 experience, and which is also worth pointing out that with Holy Grail and with that you know 
Justin Timberlake thing. Suit and tie. Suit and tie with Jay Z came out that year, and then they went on a tour together uh, after this album came out. Um, what's it called? Legend something stupid. Legends of Legends of the Grail. I want to say no. It's like le- American Legends or something. Um, he loves talking about America. You know, somewhere in America on this album, Made in America, which I think is I think I think somewhere in America is a dope song too. Yeah, listen to that. That song, yeah. Uh, see what you made me do. <laughs> Shout out to old Jews and old rules. Uh, new blacks with new I like how um, this song sort of starts out as like a stripped down boom bap thing and then as it goes on the production gets like more and more like the rest of the album like more and more kind of cinematic which is like that's like it has a cool arc in that way and then the somewhere in america miley cyrus is still twerking is like just a sort of excellent image for him to end the song on this is a hit boy and like dean uh yeah that's a very nick cave lyric that was the same year Nick Cave had the Hannah Montana uh, does the African Savannah line oh. in his song. Wow. Uh, I wonder yeah. if that was related to Yeah. Uh, Mike <laughs> Dean, I feel like, is also I it, you I feel like you can like you can sense like Mike Dean's fingers all over this album in that same sort of like Marvel superhero version of a rap album thing that you were talking about earlier, Winston. Uh like the kind of Mike Dean influence on like Travis Scott and that kind of thing of like everything or the is like this ominous, really kind of slick, uh, huge sounds. Like it feels like he was probably a yeah a big presence on the kind of creative direction of this album as well. Just talking about Timberland, like Mike was talking about, like yeah, he's just it's funny because he's like got a credit on almost all these songs, but then you know other people are credited on all of them too because. It's just fascinating that there is, like, kind of this bit of, like, trap symbols and, like, little little flourishes from uh, rap from other parts of the country and, like, stuff like stuff that was hip then. Uh, but they're, like, no, the only, like, I guess, like, the only, like, serious, like, Southern producer at that time is Mike Will, and his song is literally 55 seconds. But, um it's a, it's just like Timbaland is in there kind of trying to shepherd this whole thing and it really sounds whereas Timbaland's like old sound is the most distinctive thing in the world like this sounds like him just kind of following other people or like setting a framework for other people to come and kind of like put their imprimatur on you know um which is interesting kind of like a musical director or something it's it's kind of interesting to think of too um especially hearing that Jay-Z was thinking of this album as like a stripped down minimalist thing yet uh, every song is like three to four producers credited on it Um, it sounds like maybe what we heard was very different than like what he was recording in the studio like maybe the the tracks he was writing to and recording to were very simple and stripped down but then over the course of the development of the album things kind of got overproduced with all these cooks in the kitchen you know That's that's a great point which you can really hear on that if that's the case, like somewhere in America seems like a sort of case study for like you can sort of hear it happening in real time yeah. over the course of the song. Yeah, it's like uh, that. that's another kind of uh, blockbuster movie analogy. It's like the fixers come in to like make it 
sound big enough or sound like right. rewrite the script. Yeah. Yeah. I was sort of wondering about the inverse of that with uh, 444, like the fact that it came out kind of sounding as like idiosyncratic and weird as it does. Like some of the, I mean, I think the production on that record is really cool and it's like, it's a little weirder than like just like a strict kind of boom bap thing. And I wondered if like, you know, did Jay-Z like encounter any resistance from anyone who was like, you got to bring some people in to make this thing a little more kind of slick than it is. And it's cool that, that it, that it came out the way that it was and didn't get uh, it. What I'd be willing to, to wager knowing nothing <laughs> is, is that, is that he probably was taking forward his experience from this situation. And like, yeah, he yeah. probably had a vision, probably allowed some people to muddy it. And he was like, I'm not going to let that happen this time, you know, and, and probably did restrict the amount of hands in it because he wanted it to feel raw. Yeah. Yeah. I think you yeah. can feel probably what hit like a little bit what his idea of raw is just with that. Like if he's saying Picasso baby, like Picasso baby, Tom Ford, that kind of trying to be raw, being raw about these kind with these like very strange boasts, you know, for somebody who's not in his universe, like I don't pop Molly, I rock Tom Ford is such a weird, like they should teach that in philosophy classes type of like, what is the, what are the connection between those phrases? Like, what does this mean? Like, you know, like to him, I think that's just like, I'm speaking my truth. Like, this is fucking raw. Like, and like this, this production is like hot and like new, but it's still me, still Timbaland. But like, you know, I don't know. It, yeah, those feel like those songs to me, those two feel kind of like, the jay-z vision of this record to me somehow and maybe of course i'm maybe i am wrong but that feels like here's where it's like most honest or so here's where it's most like what was on his mind you know one thing i think about too um and if and it's you know this is me trying to get into his mind like any anything else i say but I think about somebody like him and and when they are somewhat aware of the effect that they have on culture I often think about if is he like if we get to you know art world name dropping is he also thinking about okay if I do this then like kids in the hood will be trying to figure out who Jeff Koons is and may, and maybe yeah. that's uh-huh. maybe that's part of what it was that he was hoping to have happen you know and maybe he's yeah. thinking 5 years from then then there's just all of this energy in the hood around like fine art and, and i don't know but Which, I, i'm wondering if that's somehow part of his thinking as well i feel like i mean if you look to bring 444 up again like he pretty much does that explicitly on like story of oj when he's talking about real estate and stuff he's like this is how you do it this is like how you build your riches this is like where i went wrong where i wish i would have invested in this building that i didn't buy or whatever and i think that's a really good point and it is when i feel like most kind of sympathetic to this album like some of the name dropping we're talking about before like Cassius Clay and Malcolm X and stuff like he's dropping those names in the context of like you know these were like black men who you know dared to be great and America sort of cut them down and I'm this guy who's like daring to be great and 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 I'm not I'm like refusing to be like humbled or whatever and like that is a powerful message you know from one angle when he com- when he like completely makes it about 
I mean, it's a really powerful message, but then it sort of seems like it's it's tied with this like complete self-absorption also where it's like if I'm, you know, there was like an interesting thing that I had completely forgotten about um, where there was like a feud between him and Harry Belafonte around the time yeah. of yeah. this album coming yeah. out. Dissing Harry, where, Bel- uh, Harry, Harry Belafonte he, yeah, he, diss track on the last. Uh, yeah, he says something about how. Harry Belafonte is a major fail on the in the lyrics, which is like a hilarious time capsule of the time that this record came out. But Harry Belafonte had criticized him and Beyonce in an interview. Like someone asked them about, someone asked him about them as sort of like represent re, representatives of um, black people in America, and like you know maybe they shouldn't have to have that burden as just like two people, but you know, Harry Belafonte really kind of went in on them. And Jay-Z's response was like, just by being myself, you know, I think he used some, you know, version of the, like, my presence is a gift kind of construction of like, you know, just by me being like successful ass Jay-Z, like he says like, that's the same as President Obama being an inspiration to black people. Like I just have to be me and that's enough. And I don't know if that's really true. I, I think I think it's true that he thought that. Yeah, yeah oh, you know for what sure. I'm saying. And yeah, I think yeah, that, yeah. that when you hear some of the stuff on his album, if if you're in the mindset that he thinks that's true, yeah. that he thinks name dropping is enough. Yeah, you exactly. know what I'm saying. Where he yeah. eventually learns that lesson and then realizes, no, I have to be very specific about what I'm trying to yeah. say, yeah, and yeah, not yeah. mix the mix the metaphors, or else it all it's all going to get lost. Yeah, I mean, it feels so remote, kind of from where he goes with like not only with his music not only with 444 but like with you know activist like pro- producing like all the like the Khalif Browder series and like trying to get into and like getting into all of this kind of like activist stuff and prison reform stuff later and at this point you get stuff like you know Martin had a dream Hove got a team my chain already heavy don't let me get a ring so you've kind of got these like okay so yeah, I'm exactly like Martin Luther King. For there's a lot of like those juxtapositions of like wealth and names of people that where the connection is is yeah, it's just about like kind of raw success, which is also uses also a total like Kanye thing to me. Uh, yeah, I know. mean it's essentially the same point of view as Watch the Throne, and the difference is like the music is just way better on Watch the Throne. Right, it's a lot about the presentation of the message where it's like if the music feels as confident as the message does, you can communicate that and sort of like uh, make it more visceral. It's like, because listening to it, you feel empowered and something about this feels so muddied and so almost like slow motion. There's like a kind of insecurity to it too, with Mm -hmm. all the different approaches and the different people who get pulled in. And to me that ends up, yeah, drawing away from the message or making me look for gaps between like his logic in a way I don't on watch the throne. Like with that, I'm just like full on like, yes, like, you know, you're on board. I'm with you. Yeah. Though I'm not, there's this total chip. There is like a chip on his shoulder aspect, like running through this record, like, like him trying to prove himself thing that kind of pops up amidst this, like I'm untouchable stuff. Um, And it's interesting to think that Timbaland is probably feeling much the same, you know, right. Mm. His his position not being as solid as it once was in that moment too. So, like maybe maybe that's the main, you know, bad math problem of the album is that you have two guys who 
who aren't at their most sure footing, making something that has a lot of pressure, you know, and I think if you're if if we're talking about where things sound insecure, that's probably why, you know, because neither one of them is very sure at that point. Yeah, it would have been interesting to hear, like, what's the alternate universe of like a Jay-Z and Timbaland collaboration from the year 2012, like where there was no pressure, you know, like in some fantasy scenario where they're just like hanging out, making music for the fuck of it. Like, I wonder how differently it might have come out, come out. Right. So the hits on this, we didn't talk about, I guess, I guess the biggest hit is probably the Beyonce collab on the run, which is another thing that, that, you know, to, to contrast that song, which, which I, which I, I don't mind this song. Um, I think the juvenile flow is funny in the song, but um, "Drunken Love" came out the same year. Uh, yeah, at the and end that's of the just year, like yeah. very clearly the superior Jay and Beyonce Jay Z collaboration. And even sure. like yeah, musically, just, just sounds like it. It sounds much more contemporary still than this song does. Like it feels like it was like more. Yeah, it's a fu- future ahead of its time it, right? or something. It's a future uh, hook, I think. Oh, Drunken Love? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Pretty sure. That's cool. Am I, am I making that up? I don't think so. Yeah, the, on the run, like, it's it's a, it's a sequel to something they already did, too. It's, like, taking on these kind of characters for themselves when they don't really have, like, doesn't feel like they have a lot else to say, but, like, revisiting the, like, 03 Bonnie and Clyde thing. Um, but, yeah, it did it did well uh, as a single, you know. it's It totally... It's just like such a such an easy slot in on like hip hop radio, like Hot ninety seven. Like you know what I mean? It just sounds like, yep. Any other any other things that like you have, that we haven't talked about that like you have sympathy for tracks moments that stood out to you, Mike? I do like fuck up the world. Me too. Um, and I think that that's those are really like like BBC fuck up the world somewhere in America. Yeah, like those those are the ones that feel like they're painted with with a little bit of a different brush, and so my ear perks up when these come on, yeah. kind of sample based kind of things, you know. Right. The production, he does, he just sounds more comfortable on on certain types of production. Like this is totally in his wheelhouse, and, and you can you can hear it. Yeah, there's a sense of like fun on this song too. Similarly, it's, it doesn't sound the same as BBC, but like he just kind of feels like he's loose in a different way than he is on most of the record. And he's conveying like a motto that he really did seem to be obsessed with at this time, which is just like disruption. Yeah, he was feeling that. You could tell he was feeling yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. up the world, you know, like and that's and I feel it when he says it. Cause yeah, I was feeling, looking like you know? he had these tweets because he was just like he would he'd be tweeting the like, hashtag new rules all the time. And it would be like all about the rollout for right. Yeezus being projected on buildings or J. Cole's preview of plan- like like this was a, this was his sort of mission. It was like fuck up the world, like do it, you know, the Samsung deal being part of it, like. And yeah. then obviously from there, you know, he he was doing, he was, it was all, there's so many ventures. We haven't even like talked about all the business stuff that was going on. I mean, it would really ramp up after that, but this was like, I think he started like rock sports around this time. I think he like sold his share of the nets and like moved into like being a, like sports, sports agent essentially. And like, you know, so many things would come after that. 
um and you know and now the by today he is now the first rapper to become a real billionaire and that happened i think like a couple of years ago um so he did it the fuck up the world thing sort of reminds me of like when you hear kind of like silicon valley guys talk about themselves and like you you get the sense that like they really believe that they are like com- that they're like operating on the fringes like crusading to like totally change the way things work and it's like maybe like that's how you sit within your cohort of like fellow billionaire industrialists but to me like you're just like another rich guy and i feel like jay-z has the same sort of sense of himself as like like revolutionizing something by like you know, partnering for some hundred million dollar deal with Samsung. It's like, okay, well, Steve Jobs uh, autobiography uh, uh, on the bedroom table type. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This week's financial corner, I've got a very special guest. I'll be uh, reciting a quote from one of my financial heroes, a man named Mr. Benjamin Franklin. Does it really count as a guest if you're just reciting one of his quotes? Well, a symbolic guest on my shoulder. Uh, So this is Benjamin Franklin said this in regards to investment. He said, wealth is not his that has it, but his that enjoys it. I'll say it again. (laughs) Wealth is not his that has it, but his that enjoys it. I'm processing that. Can you say it one more time? Something to keep in mind. (laughs) Wealth is not his that has it, but his that enjoys it. I think Jay-Z would agree. That's the first good tip uh-huh. you've given in this entire... Because I'm thinking about that now, and I'm reassessing yeah. a lot of choices. Wealth is not his that has it, but his that enjoys it. Oh, that is just really so. catchy. Something to think about. That's amazing. Thank you for that. Th- thank welcome. you for doing doing the fucking work with this segment for once. Andy, are you grateful for it? Uh, I'm neutral. Yeah. I'll take I, it. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I'm uh I'm not sure how well it works as practical financial advice, but you know, as far as just like a cute little fortune cookie type epigram, I can see some value in it. I think week 8 I've earned the right to do a, to do something a little lighter. I mean, you try coming up with 8 weeks of financial That's advice. That's what I was going to say actually Andy. I, I would love to maybe you should come in next time with your financial advice and we'll see if that gets anyone in. I will. I'm really into I, uh, financial corner now. I will uh, consult my sources and uh, I think I can come up with something better than that. Let's do this for these babies. Mercedes, truck, fuck, houses on acres. Flaky balling on HD. Y'all need to step up your HD. Real quick. Magna, the actual title, Magna Carta Holy Grail. What, let's, I think this is a, a nice kind of like final type question. What is what does that title mean? What does it mean to you guys? <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll give you my answer because one thing that 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 him and Kanye were doing um, a lot around that time is that they were playing with this idea that they were actually in the Illuminati. Yeah. Like they they kept yeah, yeah, hearing yeah. people say it to the point where they like embraced it. And we're doing things that almost, you know, 
stoked that right. sort of feeling in people. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I think that he's, all, you know, he's, he's intending to make a document that's important, but I think he's also trying to sprinkle it with that sort of imagery and, and, and call back to that sort of secret society stuff. So I think adding Holy Grail even made it even better, you know, cause once you, you start pulling the threads of like, um, shit i can't remember the name of the ones the templars yeah, yeah. and all of that like you know the the, and the holy grail stuff sure. comes up a lot and i think he was using any opportunity at that moment to to stoke those fires and and uh and play with that imagery further so to me uh you know he's he, even even in the title he's wearing two hats yeah. <laughs> you know and, and 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 there seems to be a lot of um a lot of him wearing different hats in here when he seems to be most effective when he's got on There's one. There's <laughs> you know all these weird kind of uh yeah, sweeping images, the like oceans thing, the only Christopher we recognize as well. These kind of like uh yeah, the the deity type stuff and then like the begin the American dream, the like beginnings of that, America type of things going on. Yeah. The the second half of that line you were just about to start quoting is pretty fucking good though. I don't even like having Washingtons in my wallet. That's one of the pretty better great. Okay. <laughs> yeah. While we're talking about album titles, can I ask you, Mike, like what your process is naming your albums? Because you kind of take an opposite approach to like something like Magna Carta, Holy Grail, but your album titles are almost like understatements. Like I always really liked what happens when I try to relax as a title or like unapologetic art rap as a title. Like where, like, do you brainstorm a lot or do you just think of it and you're like, that's it? I, I tend to have uh, some note on my computer with like 15 different, like, I, I, I'm always like, that's one of the things that when I'm making something, I'm cranking away on what is the statement here? Like, what is the uh-huh. statement here? And how, and I'm often trying to think of like, how can I say it in like the <laughs> rudest way possible, but it's also something <laughs> that I really like believe. And so that's, that's where those, those are like the, the levers that I'm trying to balance um so i'm i'm always trying to make a statement i'm trying to have the statement reflect the intention um of the album i'm also trying to be a little a little bit of an (laughs) asshole about it too (laughs) well maybe we should uh do our final thing here this is um that that's the important segment here yeah feels like we're winding down okay so for the final segment of the show we do something called fantasy or delusion which Fantasies and Delusions is the title of this crazy uh, Billy Joel album of classical piano music that was like one of the... When we started this podcast, we were like, we want to be able to talk about wild shit like Billy Joel's classical piano album. So we turned it into this metric for a binary judgment of every record we talk about. Is it a fantasy? Is it a good record? Or is it a delusion? It's a bad one. And everyone kind of delivers their closing arguments. Does anybody want to go first? Mm, go ahead. Okay, I'll go. Um, I think I'm a little more sympathetic to this record maybe than – I don't know. I don't entirely like hate this record. There's songs that I like. Jay-Z's point of view, what he's getting across is like interesting to me even though i don't exactly agree with it sort of in that unreliable narrator sense um but ultimately i've been trying to handle this closing segment as like did i actually like listening to this thing and would i call up a skeptical friend who's like 
Magna Carta Holy Grail sucks and tell them you're wrong. You have to listen to it. And I probably wouldn't. There's so many better Jay-Z albums. Even among his post-retirement records, it's not my favorite. So there's a part of me that wants to give it a fantasy, but I think I have to give it a delusion. Yeah, I'll second that. It's also a delusion for me. Um, to go back to the point about the idea of hip-hop artists ha- inventing a new persona and that becoming sort of like the the thing they're running with, I think that's a really great point about someone like Jay-Z. And it also sounds really exhausting to me in ways mm. I don't think about. And on this album, I really hear mm. the exhaustion from it. Like, I hear him thinking, like, who am I now? What do I rap about? Like, does this line get a laugh? Does this beat seem current? And to me, it really feels like I want to make a great album right now, and I have ideas for every single thing about it, except for the music. Like, I know how I'm going to distribute it. I have this beautiful cover art. I have a title that sounds like the best album of all time, but I just, like, don't know what to do with the music. I'm getting rid of the hyphen in my name. Yeah, I'm getting rid of the hyphen. I'm adding something else to the title. Um, at the last minute, I'm going to bring these producers in. And to me, that creates a sort of sense of like insecurity that's basically like the opposite of what I come to Jay-Z for. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's true there isn't really a model for how a hip-hop artist is supposed to act when they're at his point and they're really successful and they have more classic albums than most people can ever dream of having. But it... It, it seems like he's almost following the model of a band like you 2 where it's <laughs> right, like, true. even the idea that he said in interviews, it's like a strip back return to form. That's like what every older yeah, yeah, artist yeah. says about their new album. They're like, if you like the old stuff, you're going to like this. And no one does. It's like, I remember at the time, Jay-Z did like a ranking of his <laughs> own albums and he put this at like six or seven, <laughs> wow. which is kind of like, even just for like one interview, he couldn't act like this was <laughs> like anything special. And I think it's like tough love because he did sort of like he came up with a new persona, I think, with like 444 and that whole era, which even that I feel like there was a lot of distraction from it at the time. Like It was title exclusive and there was like a video every week in the interview series. But to me, that music sort of transcends the persona. And it's just like an album that doesn't sound like anyone else's album. And to me... Magna Carta isn't even really interesting in terms of a document of an era. So, yeah, it's a delusion for me, unfortunately. You know, I, I the interesting thing about this album for me is that I remember kind of being into it when it came out. Now, and also I think, and, and this is maybe a piece of the conversation that we didn't touch on much, but at that time, there was a lot of boring shit happening in mainstream rap. Like, it, it was... Like Wayne was interesting and Kanye was interesting and everybody else was boring as fuck. Like everybody else was like by the numbers. Um, so some of the choices on this album, I think at the time it came out, did seem kind of bold. They did seem to be kind of carrying that wash the throne torch. Now, listening to it now, however, though, when the seeds that they planted then are like now all fully bloomed and like like when fucking street hustling ass push a T makes an album right now it's fucking interesting yeah, yeah, sounding yeah. you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. like like the bar for interesting in hip hop is so high now i think because of what was happening in this era right like you can't just do 
you know, fucking keyboard fart noises and, you know, and like you can't like that's not going to work anymore. Um, And so I found myself when I went back to listen to this album for this conversation, I liked it a lot less than when it first came out. And having this conversation right now, I like it even <laughs> less than I did when I listened to it yesterday. And I think what I'm really coming to is this. Um, I, I'm going to have to say delusion. Uh, one, because if he meant for this to sound raw, then it really yeah. truly is a delusion. Um, and then two, I think my fantasy would be the world where Jay-Z presents this insecurity right. in the music like i would love to hear him say that he doesn't know what to do i would love to hear him say that he's caught in between these worlds and he's somewhat maybe jealous of what his friends are doing and he like i that's what i crave uh in rap music because i feel like that's the stone that's unturned in a lot and a lot of these like really successful people that you don't get to hear um you don't get to hear the the real dark shit, and I don't mean dark like tragic. I mean dark like everyday dark shit, like and and everyday uncertainty. And and my fantasy is to get that from him. Yeah. Uh, all right, and 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 you do get it a little bit more with with four forty four because you know also like yep. I mean. I, sh- I should say, like, I-, I have a very limited interest in the problems of rich people or, like, the mythologies. So, like, even 444, like, I didn't really care, you know? Like, I-, I-, I because, like, I don't care about the Solange video. I don't care that he, che- you know, like, I don't care about that stuff, really. But it did, like, make make give him a situation where he really was sort of on the defensive in some way and contrite and, like, rapping from different perspectives than he had for a really long time in some cases ever. So that was like certainly more interesting, like uh, just like hearing some kind of humility or confusion from him. Whereas here it's like confused, but yeah, just unself-aware, this unreliable narrator thing as, as I, as I was saying, which is could have been compelling to me kind of like apart from his intention. If the music was, 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 was pleasurable and didn't also feel bloated and confused and insecure in in its way again because of this Timbaland crisis of identity because of the fact that he wasn't really allowing younger producers to do something actually interesting he was like going you know he had to have it a step or two removed from the from the actual thing that maybe would have been interesting and and again like he sounds most comfortable in the stuff that sounds like his older material and he didn't really feel like he could own that so um yeah, it's a uh, it's a delusion to me. Um, I I mean, I didn't, we didn't really talk about like our favorite Jay Z music. Maybe we could say our favorite albums before we go. But like, you know, I, I'm I'm just I'm just really partial to like Volume Two. I'm, I'm I have a very soft spot for Volume Three because that's what I kind of came in with as a kid, um, and just stuff that is 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 of a very different vintage than like post like yeah even like blueprint on like blackout. Like I don't, I don't have that uh, love for that stuff. I, I, I really like the like earlier scrappier hustler Jay-Z stuff that, that isn't so much about kind of just talking, interacting with his legacy in this way, you know, that's always going to be more interesting to me than that. Um, but 
you know, there are artists at this time making it interesting, like Kanye, you know, and 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 uh, that was really an important thing at rap in this time. Uh, but J- but his version of it is just so not interesting to me <laughs> against something w- which I already find to be kind of not interesting. So um, I- I'd rather hear like younger people, you know, the younger rappers that good music was like bringing out at the time and what they were saying, you know, it's just like such an awkward juxt- juxtaposition to that world that he was kind of moving in. So yeah, delusion. Um, yeah, like, what's everyone's favorite album before we go? Like, what you, you know, if the hypothetical listener who's listening to this or has listened this far and doesn't really know much about Jay Z, like, what should what should they listen to? I would say Volume Two, great record. My favorite is Reasonable Doubt. Yeah, I was gonna say Reasonable Doubt, but I also really like yeah. Hard Knock Life. They're all pretty un- unimpeachable. <laughs> yeah. Up through the reasonable, reasonable doubt and blueprint to be like a totally unimaginative Jay Z fan are probably my two favorites. So I'll throw one in for the blueprint since no one said that yet. He's a good. He's a good. Uh, you know. Lots of great Jay Z. He's music a good out there. Uh, musician. Yeah. Let's not let's not discount that part of it. <laughs> We've been really taken in the past. But. Yeah, we, well, we, I mean, picked, we picked one where yeah, we couldn't yeah. celebrate them, you know? <laughs> yeah. But that's like the thing with these late era albums. It's kind of like, this was a good choice to pick because it really does show like a pivot point for him where it's kind of like, you know, it's like, it is kind of like, a it's like a similar role as the Black Album where it's kind of like, I can't continue doing this. Like, it's this big kind of blowout for one side of his personality in some ways. So I think it's a worthwhile album to think about if not necessarily to listen to our specialty on this podcast (laughs) exactly (laughs) man mike thank you so much for doing this this was awesome yeah thanks for having me it was a great conversation it's good to think about i think about rap in this fucking macro sense all the time so it's good to be able to talk about some of that shit that only floats around in my head is there stuff coming up or anything you want to you know plug or, or or tell people about just check out what it happened was. This, this uh, main thing right now is interviewing LP for that. Like I said, by the time people hear this, the last episode of the season will be out. But it's always a good time to dip into that or, you know, the first season with Prince Paul. I think, you know, they both tell some really awesome stories about albums that people really fucking love. For sure. Well, that's been that's been uh, another episode of Later, folks. Thanks so much for being with us, Mike. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Thank thanks. you. Thanks for having me. All right. What do we got next time, Sam? Uh, next time we'll be talking about Rod Stewart's Great American Songbook, Volume Fifty Nine, Guatemalan <laughs> Marimba Tunes. Wow, that's that's gonna be great. Yeah. Alrighty, see you later, folks. Later is hosted and produced by Winston Cook Wilson, Andy Kush, and Sam Sadomsky. It is edited by Winston Cook Wilson and mixed and mastered by Ian Wayne. The executive producers of Late Era are Brian Brinkman and RJB. Logo designed by Liz B. Art and Design. Late Era is a part of Osiris Media. Hey everybody, Winston here with a quick final word. Uh, we don't say this enough. Um, we are, are really thankful to those of you who, who listened to Late Era. Some of you have been with us since season one. Thanks for listening to season two. We just have two more episodes left in this season. They're they're very special ones, and uh, we put uh, our heart and soul into this, and and we're we're really thankful for you know you guys listening and spreading the word. Um, 
and to uh, Brian and RJ at Osiris Media who have been uh, letting you know letting us do this strange thing and uh, keeping the lights on, and of course to our friend Grayson Laird and the good folks at Grady's Cold Brew. We joke around a lot, but you know we've been Grady's lovers since for years. Um, brought them here to Osiris uh, as a sponsor with us. Uh, and uh, that New Orleans style cold brew is really as good as we say it is. So we really do hope you'll try it out. Use the code later at 20 at Grady'sColdBrew.com and sample it for yourself. Um, we mean what we say here on later. That's all I'm saying. And we uh, are very sincerely thankful to all of you. So stick around for the rest of the season. And uh, yeah, thanks for wasting your time with us.